Hey, Oasis Church Chicago, Pastor JP here. Hey, we're so glad that you're joining with us on our podcast today. I pray today that this message stirs your faith, that it builds you up, that it draws you closer to the Father's heart, and ultimately that you just feel the embrace of heaven. We would love to stay connected with you and you to stay connected with us. So please feel free to check us out on our website, oasischurchchicago.com, or download our app, Oasis Church Chicago. Also, you can be sure to join with us on our live stream on our YouTube page every Wednesday night and Sunday morning. Now here's today's message. Let me read uh, some verses from Acts chapter 5 and uh, verses 12 to 15. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes from both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, so that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from all the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. (laughs) They were all healed. This wasn't Jesus' meeting where they were all healed. This was an ordinary church meeting. They were all healed. It reminded me, I was thinking, it wasn't when I was a student uh, in an undisclosed year. (laughs) It was AD, not BC anyway, but uh, in Chicago, uh, I uh, got taken to a Catherine Kuhlman service. Uh, Not, it couldn't have been more than three or four miles from here uh, in an old hockey arena. And there were thousands of people there. And I just, you know, I close my eyes and still hear the music playing. And people getting out of wheelchairs and the healings and the miracles. But, but she said, I've never been in a meeting where they were all healed. But here, they were all healed. That's amazing. Well, how the heck did they get there? That's what we'd like to know, isn't it? And I think we've got to go back to where I think the story started, which is back in Luke's gospel in chapter 3. Verse 21 reads this. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. With you, I'm well pleased. So let me start with this. What is the significance of the descending of the Holy Spirit upon Jesus? The voice from heaven declared that Jesus was the Son of God, but the information was hardly for Jesus' benefit. He knew he was the Son of God already. Uh, And it wasn't that Jesus needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit because his, he had been filled with the Holy Spirit even from the moment of conception. So the descending of the Holy Spirit upon Jesus at the Jordan River is to be understood differently. And within another context, another whole message, I daren't go into it, except I can't resist dabbling. Uh, <laughs> there is a theme in the Bible of the dividing of the waters And in each case, the Holy Spirit is said to be present. 
The Spirit divided the waters at creation. And in that moment, God placed, uh, created a people and placed them in a land to be possessed. The Holy Spirit divided the waters at the Red Sea because it says it was the Ruach, the breath, the Spirit of the Lord that divided the sea. And in that moment, he placed his people into a new land. The Spirit of the Lord was there, the dividing of the waters of the Jordan. The Spirit of the Lord was there when Elijah divided the waters. The Spirit of the Lord was there when Elisha said, where now is the Spirit of Elijah? And so the Spirit of the Lord was there at the dividing of the waters in the Jordan River when Jesus came up out of the river. And God's purpose was the same as it had been in Adam. And by the way, the Spirit of the Lord was there in the dividing of the waters in the days of Noah. Read your Bible. I'm not making it up. And God had, again, was placing his people in a new land, creating a new people in a new, to place in a new land and take possession of it. And every one of those occasions, God gave a commission. He gave a commission to Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and take possession of the world for his kingdom. They failed. He gave the same commission to Noah, be fruitful and multiply. And Noah and his descendants failed. That story ended in the Tower of Babel. He gave the same commission to Israel at the dividing of the waters at the Red Sea and the Jordan. Israel was commissioned, Isaiah 49 and 6, to be a light to the nations, and Israel failed. Every time the Spirit of God divided the waters and God created a new people to take possession of a land, every time they failed, but this time there was going to be success and not failure. Because the Spirit of God, people say, oh, this is a digression, it's bad news already, I'm digressing. People say, somebody, one church I went to said, I really like it when you start moving away from here. It can be a dangerous place. My wife will start frowning any minute, though I dare not look in her direction. <laughs> now I've forgotten what the digression was. The Lord must have taken it away. <laughs> Sheesh. That's never happened to me. <laughs> People say, it's come back to me, thank you, Lord. <laughs> People try to minimize the Holy Spirit. They say the Holy Spirit is just, you know, it's what saves us from being Unitarians or Binitarians and makes us Trinitarians. We have a piece of doctrine on paper. That's the Holy Spirit. That's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God on earth. The Holy Spirit was there. Someone said to me the other day, was the Holy Spirit there in the Old Testament? I said, have you not read your Bible, man? The Holy Spirit was there from creation. You don't have to be a Pentecostal, God bless you, to believe in the Holy Spirit. You can be a Calvinist too. See, my, my, the, the question isn't between, you know, Pentecostals and Reformed people or Baptists or whatever. The question is people who believe in the Holy Spirit and people who believe in the Holy Spirit as God and reality and people who just believe in the Holy Spirit as a piece of doctrine on paper. So we want to be a people 
You, 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 you can't minimize the work of the Holy Spirit. You can't, must not apologize for the work of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has a way of taking over and doing what, leading us where we don't necessarily want to go. Elaine had that prophetic word this morning. The ship is leaving the harbor. The train is leaving the station. Whatever the metaphor you want to use, the idea is that it's not you and me that's in charge of the direction as to where we're going. It's the Holy Spirit. And he leads us on a wild adventure. God, I mean, yes, God's taken us. We could give our testimony, all sorts of testimonies of where God has taken us. And, and you know, it's easy, to, it's easy now to say, well, we were God's man and woman of faith and power for the hour. Glory, you know, but, but you never thought a Calvinist could say that, did you? So, but actually, we were scared stiff. And God loves to use people who know they're nothing and that he's everything. And when you have that attitude, and I'm speaking to anybody this morning here that feels disqualified, you know, what is it? God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Uh, so if you feel disqualified and you're nothing and nobody, you're scared stiff, you're a prime candidate to be used by God. So get on the ship. Don't miss the adventure. Uh, Christianity isn't a place uh, to play it safe. End of digression. <laughs> so what is the significance of the descending of the Spirit on Jesus? Well, it's the empowering of the Messiah. Because God has a plan, as always in the Bible, He is creating a new... When the Holy Spirit divides the waters, God is creating a new people to give possession of a new land. And this time it's actually going to work. So the Messiah is empowered by the Spirit to begin his ministry of baptism with fire and the Spirit, which initiates the breaking of the kingdom of God into human history. So Jesus goes straight from his baptism into the wilderness. And there he deals the first of many blows on Satan's to Satan's grasp on the world. So what happens in the wilderness? Three times the devil tests, tests him, tempts him. Three times Jesus quotes Deuteronomy to refute him. Why Deuteronomy? Well, the wilderness was the place where everything happened for the children of Israel and things went wrong. And Jesus has come to put things right. So Jesus, Israel had despised the manna and craved for the food of Egypt. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone. He refuses the temptation. Israel had tested God at the waters of Meribah and Massah. God, you failed us. We demand water. And uh, Israel tests God. The devil comes along and says, why don't you test God by throwing yourself down from this temple? And Jesus said, you shall not test the Lord your God. See, Israel had despised the manna, and Jesus said, no, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. He's quoting Deuteronomy in light of Israel's failure. Israel had tested God, and Jesus says, no, you shall uh, not test the Lord your God. And then thirdly, the devil comes to him and and says, well, you know, if only you'll worship me, I'll offer you the kingdoms of the world. 
And Jesus said, you should worship the Lord your God alone. But what had Israel done? They made a golden calf. Three times Israel failed. And Jesus quotes Deuteronomy back at the devil. The same three temptations Israel failed in, Jesus passes the test. The number 40 was the number of human failure. Israel spent 40 years in the desert under the judgment of God. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness and conquered the enemy. He turned the number of 40 from failure into victory. And we have inherited his victory. So the message here is that this time when the waters are divided, Jesus will cancel the curse of failure and Jesus has given a commission by God to take a new people into a new land and he's going to succeed. See, be fruitful and multiply was Adam's commission with Eve to press out the boundaries of the garden to the ends of the earth. Israel was given that commission to be a light to the nations. But Jesus will succeed which is why he will not return until the gospel of the kingdom is preached in every nation, Matthew 24 and 14. That's the only sign that we have uh, of the end and of the return of Christ. Uh, and where, where it says the gospel will come to every nation, it's every ethnos, every people group. It's not every political nation. There are thousands of people groups yet unreached. So I don't think the Lord is going to return tomorrow. So you can put away your prophetic chart if you believe that kind of nonsense. And, uh, uh, and, and, and now's a good time. You know what Martin Luther said? He said, if I knew Jesus was returning tomorrow, I'd plant an oak tree today. So now is the day of the kingdom. Now is the day to go out and do something for God. Now is the day to take your part in extending the boundaries of the kingdom and pressing them out to every suburb in Chicago and every city block and every part of this place in the name of Jesus. Well, this relationship of the Holy Spirit and the kingdom of God runs like a thread throughout the Gospels and the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus at his baptism in the dividing of the waters. He comes out of the waters. He cancels the curse of Israel in the wilderness, and he begins to preach the kingdom of God has arrived. So there's a close interrelationship between the Holy Spirit's presence and the coming of the kingdom. It's another reason why we place the Holy Spirit front row center, because the Father and I know it's, it's, an, it's a human way of speaking of the Father on his throne and Jesus at his side. As his, you know, we know that God and Jesus aren't sitting in two chairs, uh, you know, in heaven somewhere. Uh, it's not exactly that, but it's expressing a truth. But the Holy Spirit is God on earth. And if you marginalize the Holy Spirit, you've marginalized God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you're in big trouble. And that is the tactic of the enemy. So I know in this church, you welcome the Holy Spirit. And people, you know, some legalistic people, they say, oh, why do you welcome the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is already here. But you know, the Holy Spirit can be grieved. 
The Holy Spirit has departed from a lot of places. There's a lot of church buildings around here that aren't churches at all. The Spirit of God left years ago. It's not a bad thing to welcome the Holy Spirit and to say, Holy Spirit, you're welcome, and you're welcome as Lord, and you're welcome in this church, and if you do something, God, John Wimber used to say, God will offend the mind to reach the heart. The Holy Spirit may offend you. God bless you. You know, the exits are well lit, and you can leave if you want. As my wife pointed out kindly in her <laughs> prophetic word. <clears throat> you know, I have to kind of calm things down. <laughs> uh, but we want to welcome the Holy Spirit. And when you welcome the Holy Spirit, then guess who's in charge? It's not you. That's clue number one. So the Spirit of God is manifesting himself through Jesus' ministry and mighty miracles and exorcisms. One of the first things that Jesus did was start casting demons out of people. If it's by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, he said, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And all of this, and yet as we know, the story didn't pan out as the disciples expected because they had bought into what the the Jewish theologians and spiritual leaders of the day believed, which was the Messiah would be a political figure that would come and drive the Romans out. And that didn't, didn't work that way because Jesus' kingdom was different from any other earthly kingdom. And so toward the end of his ministry, Jesus tells this story to people who expected that it was going to turn out like that, the kingdom was going to come, the Romans were going to get kicked out, and it was all going to be hunky-dory. That's, by the way, why the, the guys were fighting over who was going to have the right seat and the left. They weren't thinking about heavenly thrones. They were thinking about who's going to sit on the ruling platform in Jerusalem and lord it over everybody. So, and, and by the way, that, that was two of them. Well, the rest of them that were indignant with the others, the reason they were indignant was because they wanted those places too. They weren't holier than the two. Gee, we, you know, there's nothing that will wreck the kingdom of God more than politics. So, uh, enough said. Okay, so Jesus tells this story. Thank God there's no politics in this church. Everybody's perfect. Okay, Jesus told a story to the people who expected this to happen. And the story told was, in Luke 19, about a nobleman who goes away to another country to receive his kingdom. But he goes away. And then he returns later to rule. So Jesus must first go away in order to return with fuller authority. And so the gospel accounts demonstrate the breaking in of the kingdom through the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon Jesus and his ministry, but at the same time, the gospels point to a greater fulfillment of something that is going to happen when Jesus goes away and comes back. And that coming back of Jesus is not his second return. It is his coming back in the power of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. So we shouldn't be surprised when we turn to the beginning of the book of Acts to find that the subject of Jesus' teaching of the disciples in that 40-day period between uh, the resurrection and Pentecost, the subject of that 
of his teaching was the Holy Spirit and the kingdom of God. He presented himself alive to them, Acts 1 and 3, appearing to them during 40 40 days. It keeps coming up again, doesn't it? It's interesting. Probably just a coincidence. He appearing to them during 40 days and speaking to them about the kingdom of God. Because the 40 days of Jesus' triumph over the devil is now going to be duplicated in the church. Read, you know, I daren't get into Revelation. Okay. He instructed them to stay in Jerusalem, Acts 1, verses 4 and 5, to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So the kingdom had arrived through the power of the Spirit in Jesus' earthly ministry. There's no doubt about that. But now something even greater is at hand. That's why Jesus said, greater things than these you will do, because through his death and resurrection and ascension to the right hand of God, this is going to precipitate the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, not just on Jesus and his personal earthly ministry, but upon all of God's people. That's the thing that in the old covenant, the presence of God was restricted to a little cubicle which only one man could enter once a year. But on the day of Pentecost, the temple of God in heaven fell out and landed on the city of Jerusalem. And now, according to New Testament teaching, you and I contain that same power that was in the Holy of Holies. We are one man, one woman, mobile tabernacles of the Holy Ghost. That's amazing. Think about it. When you get up in the morning, tell yourself as you look in that mirror, (laughs) you are a one man or one woman tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. I know you don't look like it. And frankly, you don't look like it. (laughs) But, and you probably don't feel like it either. But you are. You are. Because it's all about him. Here's why Paul said that we contain transcendent power in what? Earthen jars. They were the most humble, you know, whatever you'd buy at Walmart. They weren't fine china. That's what we are, cracked earthen jars. But yet God chooses us, chooses to manifest his glory in imperfect people like us because everyone looks at us and says, well, if not, can't be him, can't be her, must be God. So now, at Pentecost and following, the kingdom is operating, not just in Jesus, but also in his followers. So this crippled beggar, he was a fixture at the gate of the temple. He'd been there for years. Everybody knew. And then one day, Peter comes along. And by the way, Peter had a gift of faith on that day. As how many times did Peter walk past the same guy going in and out of the temple and done nothing? You have to wait because the Holy Spirit is boss. He's Lord, right? 
And, but on that day, something different happened. And uh, the Spirit of God came on Peter. God gave him a gift of faith, and he just looked at him and said, I don't have any silver and gold, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. And he did, walking and leaping and praising God. And, uh, and, and the whole city was arrested because uh, everybody that had gone in and out of the temple knew who this guy was. And so... Luke says, great grace was upon the whole body of believers. That's incredible. What, what does it mean to have great grace? Well, the effect of it was when they had prayer meetings, the building shook. I'm so glad you got your prayer meetings. Somebody that I don't know how I, I knew them, but online through, whether it was through Theosu or something or other, they said, I know about that church in Chicago. I've encountered the presence of God there in a way that I never have in my life before in one of your prayer meetings. So you're blessed to be part of a church like this and show up in those prayer meetings because you never know what the building might shake. <laughs> Miracles might happen. It, it's extraordinary. Uh, uh, and how many signs and wonders were being done. That's just the, I'm finally getting back to the scripture I read at the beginning. Now, you know, it's a disaster, isn't it? When some boring preacher gets up and it never happened to me, but I've just heard. Anyway, <laughs> and you know, they go on and on and on and on and on about nothing in particular. And then finally get to their text and it's already about 20 minutes. You, you know, you're sitting there kind of looking at your watch, but not wanting to be really obvious that you're, oh, gee, Lord Jesus, come right now. Okay. <laughs> I hope nobody's doing that <laughs> at this moment. God bless you. <laughs> you're very gracious. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly being done. Don't, don't worry, I'm trying to say this is not the beginning of my message. It's just that I read it at the beginning and, you know... <laughs> Because your pastor has a, a, you know, under this carpet, there's a, you know, and he presses a buzzer. And if you, I go on too long, you go down to whatever the basement is in this place and never be seen again. Okay, now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in this place called Solomon's Portico. Now, Solomon's Portico was a place, our archaeology has discovered it, just outside the temple. It was very short distance away from where the crippled guy had been healed. And, you know, putting it together, it could well be that on that incredible day when the crippled man was healed, this first major public miracle, um, that you know, a crowd had gathered in the nearest open space, which was Solomon's portico, and then they, the apostles knew and they were on to a winner and they just kept going back to the same place every day, preaching the kingdom of God and people were coming and it was extraordinary. Signs and wonders were being done. The apostles were operating in such a degree of power. People were afraid to join them. The fear of God fell upon people. And you know, Pete, who only ever opened his mouth to change feet, in the Gospels, now has this extraordinary ministry. He's going to, you know, well, I know, there probably was only a Starbucks nearby Solomon's Portico because that's all there is near, near here, and you've got to settle for that. And I know some of you are total coffee snobs. We're staying with a couple of them at the moment. I won't disclose their name. <clears throat> 
Uh, <laughs> they prefer a do dollop of blessing rather than going to Starbucks. That's a little clue to... <clears throat> anyway, uh, so Pete has to go to Starbucks because that's what's near church. And on his way out of Starbucks with his, you know, caramel, quadruple, macchiato, whatever it was that he had, because he was from California probably. And uh, he's, he walks out of his Starbucks innocently with his coffee, and they're laying the sick out on the street corners so that even as the shadow of his caramel macchiato falls upon them, they get healed. You know, he wasn't even praying for them. He's just walking along, you know, having his coffee, and, and people are trying to get in the line of that coffee. Oh, he's tilting it this way, tilting it that way. They're trying to jump. It's the shadow that falls on them, you know, so that even the shadow of his coffee cup might fall on them. And I think that would have been great, you know. The preachers in those days, they didn't even have to preach. Some people say, well, all you ever do is preach for power along on Sunday morning and lie in bed the rest of the week, go, go to the golf course, something like that. I don't know. But um, Pete, he didn't even have to do that. He just went to the coffee shop and people got healed. I think that was pretty neat. Anyways... So the apostles were doing this, and the signs and wonders were, were happening. And not only were the healings uh, taking place, but verse 14 says, more than ever believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. If we want revival, we need miracles. I do believe that we need to operate in the miraculous if we want to reach our postmodern secularistic society for Christ. It's not enough anymore just to give our verbal witness. We need to operate with power because we're coming against supernatural power. Lord, help us. We need to access the power of the kingdom. If they needed it, in the apostolic church, then we shouldn't apologize for wanting it today. Because it's not that we want exciting experiences for the sake of having them, it's we want exciting experiences in God for the sake of the kingdom of God, to see people saved. I mean, Jesus himself was empowered by the descending of the Spirit upon him. So how much more do we, as imperfect human beings, need the same empowering? 50 years ago, I hate to say, I can't even believe it because I'm only, you know, 32 years old. But 50 years ago, at minus 18 or whatever, <laughs> a power encounter with the Holy Spirit changed my life. And I, well, I was resistant. I was a little bit like Saul on his donkey that got knocked off. I didn't believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I mean, I read a book called The Cross and the Switchblade, which had not been published all that long in the, those days. And uh, uh, it was all about these drug addicts and so on. And, and, I, and, and in New York City, and the Pentecostal preacher went in there. I hate to say he was Pentecostal, but he was Pentecostal. God used him in spite of it. And <laughs> called David Wilkerson, this remarkable man. And people's lives were transformed. And I thought, well, that's all right for them, but I don't need that. You know, the arrogance of my heart. And God began to deal with me. 
and he humbled me. I can't tell, I don't have time to tell the story, but I began to seek the Holy Spirit. I, I, I turned right around in a space of about two weeks from someone who was looking down his nose at people like that to someone who desperately wanted what they had. And God began to deal with the arrogance in my life. And uh, I'll never forget the moment that I was prayed for and my friend who was with me uh, turning to me and saying, uh, God has blessed you. And I, I, I felt nothing. I felt absolutely nothing. In fact, I was quite disappointed. And, uh, uh, and I thought I'd misheard him. I thought that he'd said to me uh, that God had blessed him. And I said, God bless, blessed you, did he? And he said, no, no, he blessed you. And I, and I said, why would you say that? And he, he looked at me and he said, well, I just touched you. And I thought, well, now I know he's weird. <laughs> and I turned around and I found myself on the floor. And I couldn't get up. I had no frame of reference. I'd never seen or heard anything like this. I was, all I knew was I was on the floor and I couldn't get up. And he started to laugh. He obviously knew something more than I did. And I crawled down four flights of stairs and I crawled across two big rooms and, and my coat, because it was February, was on a, a pile of old wooden stacking chairs in the Bible college. And he pulled me up, put my coat on, pushed me out the door and said, phone me tomorrow and tell me what's happened. And I, I walked out, I staggered out on the street as if someone had me by the scruff of the neck and was pushing me. It was the Holy Spirit, it was the power of God. And I stepped off the curb and I'd had this terrible mental block about speaking in tongues because I was studying languages and I just couldn't get past it. But I knew this was now or never. I knew it. I knew nothing, but I knew enough to know that this was God's moment in my life. And before I got to the other side of the street, I was speaking in a language that I'd never learned. And I walked around uh, the inner city of Toronto until 3 a.m., drunk in the spirit. Should have been arrested, probably. And it changed my life. And God began to speak to me and tell me things that were going to happen before they happened. And after four times in two weeks, and every time I wound up as a result praying for someone else to receive the Holy Spirit the same way that I had, with signs following which they did, after four times I was like Samuel, I realized this was the voice of God. Changed my life. I, I was like C.S. Lewis's, you know, I walked through the the closet. I didn't come out of the closet. I went into the closet, into a different world. And I've been there ever since. That doesn't mean that I'm super spiritual or perfect, as my wife shall illuminate you if you want to hear all my weaknesses and imperfections. But I can tell you one thing. I can hear the voice of God. And I know how to access imperfectly the power of the Holy Spirit. I, I, I can't get up and preach. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, half the time in worship times when I'm preaching, I'll just be saying, help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. You know? Because we are dependent on the Holy Spirit. Catherine Kuhlman always used to say that. She, she'd wander around praying, crying out to God in, in her room, dressing room, before, you know, and the, and the meetings would be delayed. 
because she would wait until the anointing of the Holy Spirit came and she knew when that was. So the Holy Spirit is God. He's here. He is a tangible reality. And this isn't experientialism. This is the power of God. And when he moves, then you either move with him or you may. So when the kingdom of God, and by the way, uh, Paul says in Ephesians 5 and 18, be filled with the spirit. That is in the Greek present continuous tense. It means you need to be filled every day. You can't live off an experience you had five years ago or even five weeks ago. Tomorrow morning, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit all over again. When the kingdom of God arrives in town, the first thing that happens is the presence of the supernatural. Our best human efforts operate only in the realm of the possible. It's like the great Chinese apostolic figure that spent many years in prison, was released, came to the United States in the 1990s, was taken around all these great ministries, and at the end of it, he was in Atlanta with Dr. Larry Burkett, who is an amazing man. And Dr. Burkett said to him, brother, well, after the last month of touring around all these great churches and ministries, what is your perception? And the, the man turned to him and said, well, it's amazing how much you've been able to do without God. We can do a lot without God, can't we? If you've got a religious infrastructure, you can build church in a corporate manner and have all that kind of stuff. But if you want the supernatural, and if you really want the inbreaking of the power in the kingdom of God, you need God. Your human efforts won't cut it. Your, you know, you can have every mission statement, vision statement. You can hire people to do publicity for you and do all this, that, and the next thing, and it won't amount to a hill of beans. In God's, so I'm not saying that, I'm not, I'm not, you know, saying that churches that are like that are, you know, insincere or whatever. I'm just saying you can do a lot in the possible, but I want to operate in the impossible. I want to do things that I couldn't possibly do that can only be done by the power of the Spirit of God. God wants to break us out of the realm of the merely possible. Elaine was giving that word, which, by the way, she rarely does, uh, only when you usually, you know, I have to drag her kicking and screaming when she's got a word, but she's very reticent, very reluctant to share unless she's very certain. But on the one occasion we were in England in the church there, and she was up on the platform without my, I opened my eyes and she was gone, you know, and uh, if I believed in the rapture, I'm, which I don't, but I do believe in the return of Christ, if I believed in the rapture, I might have thought she'd been raptured. But there she, she was raptured to the platform, singing in tongues, and then giving an interpretation. And, at the, and the presence of God came in in an extraordinary manner. And at the end of that, at the break, uh, a young lady came up to us, shaking. And she said, I'm in church from, visiting from New Zealand. That's a long way from New Zealand to England this morning. And she said, I speak the Maori language. And your wife was singing in the Maori language. And their interpretation was word for word translation from Maori into English. See, that's doing the impossible, right? That's the impossible. And, and Elaine wouldn't even have known. She was speaking in Maori if that woman hadn't been there, which was another miracle in itself. 
So God wants to break us out of the realm of the possible and into the realm of the impossible. Make no mistake, the power of the kingdom will attract people. Peter, his itinerary was tracked. Wherever, I make jokes about coffee shops, but wherever he was coming from and heading towards Solomon's portico, people knew exactly his itinerary and they laid the sick out into the streets. I was, was uh, preaching in a, a church in England 40 years ago and uh, referenced a man called Smith Wigglesworth. You might've heard his name, moved in extraordinary miracles. He was an illiterate plumber that got saved and the power of God came upon him in a place called Sunderland. And Sunderland is a God-forsaken place. You don't ever want to go there, uh, especially in the middle of a soccer game, which <laughs> your pastor nearly got caught up in. Uh, and, uh, but in 1902 or 03, it's where Pentecost arrived in England. And in, the 19, in 1994, it's where the move of the Holy Spirit started in Toronto. It landed in Sunderland. And Smith Wigglesworth was filled with the Holy Spirit in Sunderland. And uh, I was speaking about him, and this lady in her 80s came up to me, and she said, um, when I was a young woman, and this would have been going back to the 1930s or something, and she said, I was dying of cancer. And of course, in those days, there was no treatment at all. She said, my parents brought me in uh, on a stretcher to a church building called Chowdine Chapel in Gateshead in the northeast of England, just near Sunderland, um, and it's still there today. And Smith Wigglesworth was preaching. And he went over to, she was dying of cancer. And he went over and he commanded her to get up off the stretcher and to run around the block seven times. She was totally healed. 50 years or whatever later, she, she'd spent her life witnessing for Christ. We had friends, we were just in England and we had friends, I can't remember who it was. We have so many friends. Anyway, we do, we do have some friends, JP. I mean, believe, you know, I, I, in spite of the fact I make fun of the pastors everywhere, somehow I still get invited back a few places. And uh, I can't remember who it was, but somebody had bought a, the old Salvation Army building in a city called Bradford and uh, a church. And, and they were taking a tour of the building and the old Salvation Army officer was showing them around the building that they bought. And they came to this door that was uh, locked and he opened it. And uh, inside, the, there was a room full of wheelchairs, really old wheelchairs and crutches. And so our friend said, well, what is this? And the Salvation Army officer, the old gentleman, said, well, he said, in this city, there was a man called Smith Wigglesworth, and he used to hold his meetings here at the Salvation Army, and this is where all the people left their wheelchairs and crutches when they got healed. Amazing. The Apostle Paul tells us that the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. <laughs> so I've done enough talking this morning. Uh, so it's my cue to draw to a close. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. See, the problem in our supposedly sophisticated Western culture is that we've been fed a steady diet for at least 300 years that the only reality 
is what we can access with our senses, what we can touch and taste and feel and see. And that's, a, that's actually a very irrational way of thinking because all of these atheistic philosophers and scientists come up and, uh, and, and tell us, you know, with all their vast intellectual abilities, that we're just a bunch of ignorant, random bunches of atoms that have been thrown together by accident, and yet they seem to feel that they are smart enough to explain the mysteries of the universe. But you can't. You, you can only explain the mysteries of the universe. Now, our church, I found it in England, has one of the world's top astrophysicists in it, and she gives lectures even on the BBC about creation and God. You can only explain the universe as, the, as created by the hand of a personal creator God. We have intelligence because there's an intelligence greater than ours. That's how it works. We, we think ourselves in, in the Western world, we think we're wise, but we're actually fools. Christianity is not a white Western religion. I have news for you. It's, it's a Middle Eastern religion. Jesus wasn't white. Most of the leaders of the first several centuries in the church were black. They were Africans, people like Augustine and Origen and others. And... And yet we think we're the bee's knees. You know, it's ridiculous. You want the power of God, you'll more likely find it in Africa, India, Korea, China, whatever, than you will here because we have been fed this diet of rationalism and it is an enemy of the kingdom of God. And we all the more so in our culture have to fight against that than others do in other parts of the world where it's more natural and they have greater understanding. So God can work, yes, He can work through doctors. He can work through that kind of wisdom. But if God made us, He can heal us. And when the doctor can't do anything more, Jesus still can. The church grows weak when it surrenders the very thing that the atheistic world around us doesn't have, which is the power of the kingdom of God. That's the one trump card that we've got. I sat with a prophet friend of mine a few weeks ago in, in uh, Canada, in Ontario, and he told me his story. Back many years ago, and he and his wife were newly married, and they couldn't conceive, and they went and took expert medical opinion, and the doctors told them, you will never, ever, ever be able to have a baby. It's absolutely impossible. The only thing is that they, the only problem was they were very prophetic and God had told them they would have a son. In fact, they told them his name would be Joshua. And they went and bought all the baby furniture and they bought a plaque that said Joshua on it and nailed it on the door. And for years, month by month by month by month, there was disappointment, disappointment, disappointment. They went through a lot of tears. His wife you know, it, she suffered a lot. It was very, very hard. But then one day she felt sick. And in that moment, both her and her husband, their names Gary and Sheila, knew that she was pregnant. And so this is 28 or 29 years ago and pregnancy tests weren't quite as accurate then as they are now. We, I know, because we took a few. And uh, which were generally positive. <laughs> we have eight children. Anyway. Uh, he went out and bought a pregnancy test and it was negative. So the next day he went out and bought another test and it was negative. 
And the third day he went out and bought another test and it was negative. And on the fourth day he went out, he was getting bankrupt by this point. On the fourth day he went out and bought another test and it was negative. And on the fifth day he went out and bought another test and it was positive. And, and 28 years ago, their son Joshua was born and they the Lord had told him he would be raised up to be a worship leader and prophetic, which he is today in a church near Toronto. And Gary and his wife are in uh, Vietnam right now. They, they minister in, in some of the biggest churches in Asia. They're just ordinary people who hear from God. You know, we're just ordinary people. We don't have any qualifications. I don't think he ever been to Bible school. He'd served faithfully for years on staff of a church, just doing this and that. But the prophetic call came and God moved him to the nations of the world. He's speaking to political leaders, to people in the entertainment world. He's just an ordinary guy who can hear from God. And let me let you in a secret. You're just ordinary people who can hear from God. That's all we are. That's the power of the kingdom. Over the years, Elaine and I have witnessed the birth of, I don't know how many children, we've lost count, children that we, barren couples that we prayed for. The oldest is uh, a man in England. He's over 40 years old. The youngest, just babies. There are many mysteries in healing. I've never been in a healing meeting like Peter's where everybody was healed. Sometimes nobody is. John Wimber said, pray for Pray for a thousand people before one was healed. But we press on. And we have to, because every time we believe God for a miracle, we're coming up against 300 years of unbelief. 300 years of being told that miracles don't exist. 300 years of being laughed at. 300 years of being called ignorant in this sophisticated white Western culture. That's what we're coming up against. The shocking truth is the society we live in under the, underneath the appearance of all its wealth and sophistication is often a culture of darkness. It's a culture of broken families, of addictions, of abortion, fatherlessness, hopelessness. It kind of looks like the picture of Babylon in Revelation chapter 17. That's what 300 years of denying God has got us. What this nation needs, what this city needs, is the culture of the kingdom. The kingdom of God isn't all about miracles. I'm not saying that. First of all, it's about sacrificial love. It's about the cross. But make no mistake, it's a kingdom that advances in power. And we, when we lose the power, we're in trouble. Churches are designed to be expressions of the kingdom of God, not religious institutions which lull people into a ceremonial haze of dead rituals and then wonder why nobody wants to come anymore. The culture of the apostolic church, and I said this in a different context to those who were here yesterday, is an ideal. I know none of us lives in it. We all live in the tension between the real of where we're at and the ideal of where God wants us to be. Allow God to pull you out of the reality of where you're at today, wherever you're starting, doesn't matter, and move you toward the ideal. 
Don't look at the person beside you. I'm repeating what I said yesterday because there's some weren't here and half those who were here might need to hear it again. <laughs> Don't look at the person beside you and judge yourself in relation to them. Don't try to assess how far you've come. Just keep moving forward. The ideal is Jesus. Allow him by his spirit you, to pull you toward him. You can't do it in your own strength. Legalism won't cut, cut it. Moralism won't cut it. We need the power of the Spirit. Uh, God, God sometimes meets us in the most impossible moments. He met Catherine Kuhlman at a, the end of a dead-end street. I read her, her biography. When things were hopeless. That's often where God meets us. Where we come to the end of our own resources is where we come to the beginning of His. You can't access the power of the Spirit till you've given up your own abilities, your own power, your own arrogance, your own pride. When you know you're nothing, God can do anything. He loves to use the broken, bruised, and hurting people that frankly most of us are to show in those weak clay jars is transcendent power. The church was founded in a culture of the kingdom, a culture of the miraculous, the culture of the Holy Spirit. When the waters are divided and God creates a new people to possess the nations of the earth, thank God we're still living in that culture. We're a people who won't settle for anything less. Yes, we'll lose some battles, but we'll press on. We'll fight the enemy in every front. We'll be like the widow in Luke 18, that her only weapon she had was persistence. But in the end, that's all she needed. We'll be bruised and bloodied and beaten, but we won't give up until we've seen His kingdom come. I invite you this morning to have a fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit. Because whatever you and I have experienced in the past, it's only a foretaste, isn't it, of what's to come. So God's here this morning. We don't have to create an atmosphere. The Holy Spirit is here. Uh, and I invite you, I don't know what's gonna happen because I'm done and I'm giving the microphone over to the boss here. Whether there's an invitation and some of you come to the front or whether you just encounter God where you're sitting or whether you go home and encounter him in your own home, I invite you for a fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit this morning. You can't have enough of him.